Hello and welcome to Manga Splaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who haven't read much manga before. Hosted by me, Deb Aoki, David Brothers, Christopher Woodrow Butcher, and Chip Zdarsky. Follow along with our show notes and reading lists at mangasplaining.com. Obviously, this week is my week, and this week is the first of three books about witches that we're going to be covering <laughs> in the next couple of weeks. I don't know if it was on purpose, partly it was on purpose, partly it was accidental. But anyway, we are starting with Witch Hat Atelier by Kamome Shirahama. It is published by Kodansha Comics. It is translated by Stephen Kohler, lettered by Liz Blakesley, and edited by Ajani Oloye. This one is, as I mentioned when I first recommended it, is a book that I've been recommending to almost everyone who hits me up with the question, hi, I need a manga for my my middle grade sister, cousin, brother, daughter, son, you know? Almost without fail, people come back and say, that was awesome. I love it too. When's the next one coming out? <laughs> so I thought, why not bring it over to the Manga Explaining crew and see if it also passes the great manga for people who don't read much manga before. In particular, our friend who has actually read quite a bit of manga I've by I've read now. quite a bunch of manga. So You've maybe this is not quite. It doesn't quite fit you anymore. <laughs> but I'm curious to hear how... Chip and the rest of the gang thought of this wonderful fantasy story about a young girl who is learning to be a witch. Before I get too deep into it, let's read the description from Kodansha. In a world where everyone takes wonders like magic spells and dragons for granted, Coco is a girl with a simple dream. She wants to be a witch. But everybody knows magicians are born, not made, and Coco was not born with a gift for magic. Resigned to her unmagical life, Coco is about to give up on her dream to become a witch until the day she meets Quifri, a mysterious traveling magician. After secretly seeing Quifri perform magic in a way that she's never seen before, Coco soon learns that what everybody knows might not be the truth and discovers that her magical dream may not be as far away as it may seem. Given that starter, let's see. I think I'm going to throw this at David first. Let's see what he says about witchcraft Witch Hat Atelier. I also keep calling it Witchcraft Atelier as well because of the glut of witch books we've got coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this one, like five pages in, I was like, oh, it's about art. It's about making books, drawing things, that kind of thing. Like it's very obviously like a metaphor for creation. Mm. But the drawings and the author's sense of like how to design a comics page, I thought were really fascinating. Like she does a lot of little tricks where one page leads directly into the other, despite not being like a pure double page spread or how characters like progress from panels or kind of even hang on to the panels while they talk. Yeah. It's like a very was awesome. charming book to read, like visually, I think. Story-wise, I'm not as into it yet. It seems like a book I'll like a lot, two or three volumes down the line, once all the world building is done. Because mm. this volume is super nerdy. <laughs> to describe it. <laughs> and not even you know necessarily in a bad way there's just a lot of details to set down a lot of context you know here's how mm. the here's how the magic works here's more info about how the magic works here's some variations on that info you know just kind of wall to wall and there's a good bit where the main character coco is like i only got like a third of that and that's sort of like where i was at as a reader as well and she like recaps a little bit mm. so good start but i can see why it becomes great later that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, fantasy and sci-fi is really tricky, right? Because they, 
they have to set up this world, right? They have to set up yeah. the rules and they have to set up this concept. And in a book like this, I think it's heavily front-loaded, mm-hmm. as you say. Even Was when they're like, here's exactly what magic is for in this universe and here's how we use it, here's how we don't use it. Like they just say it out loud. You know, it, there's not like a, it's not an organic reveal necessarily, mm-hmm. but it is mm-hmm. sort of like, a, it makes sense in context why there would be an info dump. Mm-hmm. So Chip, as a storyteller, I mean, you know, the mechanics of this kind of world building, you know, something that you're concerned with too. I mean, think something that you have to do. How did, which hat atelier work for you in that respect? Uh, it's funny, uh, David saying that there are parts that weren't really done kind of organically. Like I felt like most of the book was kind of like that. Like almost every interaction was just like, not shoehorn, but definitely well, there, uh, on page 17 where Coco goes, please, I promise to stop talking about how I wish I could use magic. Like that just felt like, so kind of shoehorned in there. I'm just like, well, like you, no one ever says I'll promise to stop talking about blah, 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 blah. When it wasn't really, there's no context for it before that point. It was to let us know where the character's at. And like, I felt like most of the book was like that, but I was fine with it. Mostly because I could see the age range that this book was for that you don't really want to be mm-hmm. subtle with that kind of delivery or tease things out mm-hmm. too much. Um, you want the younger reader to kind of get it right away. Like, oh, she's interested in magic and she's bugging her mom about magic. And like all the rules that kind of come along are presented that way too. But it's so gorgeous. Like this book is beautiful. <laughs> Capital B beautiful. And look, I'm not one for color pages. <laughs> The color pages that start this off are the best that we've had so far. Like they're really, really wow. well done. Beautifully painted, beautiful color palette. I was really kind of hoping the rest of the book would be that when I saw them. <laughs> but the rest of the book is gorgeous. Like it's really, really, really well done to make it kind of North American English comics adjacent. Like it reminded me a lot of like P. Craig Russell. Like there's something to the line work mm, and, yeah. and the way. Mm-hmm folds and cloth and effects and stuff are depicted felt a lot like his work yeah no it's 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 gorgeous my favorite parts were all the weird little uh, what did they call it with the that uh, magic imbued objects what were those called again contraptions contraptions, contraptions yeah the contraptions i really really enjoyed mm. shout out to my favorite the i think you all know where i'm gonna go with this one hmm? the window the toilet that goes into a oh, universe. <laughs> How would you not think that that wasn't my favorite part ever? It was so perfect. It was so funny. And I'm just like, oh, that's amazing. Of course, that's how magic would handle your dumps. <laughs> but stuff like, stuff like that. The I, void. The void, exactly. Stuff like that, I think it would just be super charming for kids. Like this one would give... I, I, I would highly recommend it to kids. And that, I th- sorry, was this a seinen manga? It is, actually. That strikes me as really yeah, weird. Right. I, don't, I don't quite understand that, but I'll let you guys uh, explain it to me. Maybe it's kind of like Yatsuba, in a way. Mm-hmm. Which is also, also a seinen, seinen manga. Oh, yeah. And so is Cheese Sweet Home, which we'll get to in a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Men like all kinds of stories, Chip. It's 2022. <laughs> <laughs> We've come a long way. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Boy, we sure have, haven't we? <laughs> Manga planning indeed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Good point, David. 
But I miss that this does have like a YA feel to it for sure. Mm -hmm. I think that's why I felt it was nerdy because it's very safe, you know? Mm. Yeah. But I'm sure we'll get to that once Christopher lets us know how he feels too. Is it my turn? That's a good lead into you, Chris. <laughs> yeah, good job. I think this is a perfect book, maybe, actually. I think this is a perfect book. And I think that the problems you guys have with it are totally real also. And I know that it gets better as it goes. So how could this be perfect if it gets better? Language being imprecise is terrible. How could anyone do that as a writer? Straight up, I like it's delightful. It's delightful on every page. Every illustration is gorgeous. The color work is beautiful. The like idea of drawing being magic and then you're an artist who's making that story is like also and it's your like it's it's all there the exact kind of world building they're doing is like so why a fantasy tropey in that way which makes it perfect for that audience because that's the kind of stuff that i feel like that audience generally wants is like okay we're in a world what are the rules of this world let's explain the rules while we're actually doing a thing so her learning about you know, doing stuff that then she uses, like her learning that, oh, if you draw this thing too close to the edge, it makes things sprout out of the side of the edge. So she uses that in the next chapter to like lift herself up off of the ground and fly to her destiny, like that kind of stuff. Like, oh my God, it was all just, it was all there. It's all perfect. And I think, I mean, I knew it was good and I had read some of this before, but like just sitting down and reading it all at once for the podcast, it was like, it all flows so perfectly from scene to scene for me. It just keeps introducing things and then using them and then building on that usage with a new introduction of a new concept. And I don't think I'm, I want the world building to end. So we get to like the meat of the story. Mm -hmm. I want to just keep having that world be built like new ideas, new concepts, new whatever. And I'm sure things settle in like, like most manga, right? Like you introduce all the stuff in the first couple volumes and then it's just like the next adventure. Stuff that we've really liked on the podcast, like Don to Don. Like after that first arc, maybe the second arc, they really figured out what the world was going to be and now they're just telling more stories in that world. There's nothing wrong with that. But this was just like beautiful discovery. Like the toilet was so great. <laughs> the window was so great. Yeah. The shoes, clicking the shoes together to mm -hmm. do magic, like a pure callback to Wizard of Oz, except... The rules why it worked were totally different than Wizard of Oz yeah. mm -hmm. because you were completing a circle on the soles of your shoes. Such a cool like idea. So smart. Like, so many great ideas in this. So smart. So yeah, like I don't know. I would recommend this to literally anyone that had joy in their hearts. And also, <laughs> I don't. This is a really popular book. This is a really popular book. It's selling really well. I don't know why it's not selling better. Like this yeah. should literally be the like big middle grade YA girls manga. And I think it's maybe done in by its um, ornamentation. Is that what I want to say? You think? Really? You look, you look at the cover of that book and mm -hmm. it looks so ornamented. Like it's so drawn and it's so gentle and it's so like detailed and she looks very young and it's not like action-y. All the book covers are very posed and court, like beautiful illustrations. But if you look at North American middle grade and YA fiction, it all has like a little bit more of an edge in the cover, not in mm -hmm. necessarily in the content. And I think people look at this and unless it's handed to them and say, no, this is the book that you're going to love. And they read it and go, oh my God, it was the book I was going to love. I, I worry that that's maybe why people don't come to it. Yeah. And I think it's... Bizarre. I think it's bizarre. Mm. So yeah, I've. I mean, again, 
get going, but I really do think that this is a, a nearly perfect book for its for its age group and for its audience. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what could be done to have it be even more successful. I'll give you an answer. What's that? The anime adaption. Is there not one? I think there's one in the works. Okay. I'm not sure if you get those kind of like phenomenon level books like Christopher's talking about without the anime adaptation hmm. most times. Mm-hmm. Like it seems mm-hmm. rare to have the runaway success because like anime it is, is still more, it's not more mainstream. It's differently mainstream than manga in terms of like how popular it is. Mm. That's yeah. wild. I wasn't even thinking about it in terms of anime. Like you, you guys went right to the anime adaptation. Yeah. In my head, I was thinking about it like this should be as popular as Heartstoppers. Which is a scholastic graphic novel, was a UK graphic novel that Scholastic picked up mm-hmm. and is now like I think a Netflix series about like two gay teenagers in, in school. Mm-hmm. And they're like very gentle romance. Or like Summer I Turned Pretty, which just came out on Prime, uh, which my niece is obsessed with as like wow. a YA, like for that perfect age group. Like this is that, like that level of quality and like mm-hmm. of doing everything right and by the book. And I think the anime, yeah. I, I was thinking of it in an, absolutely in a middle grade YA context, not yeah. in a manga mm. context. But I think you're right. I think when the anime comes out, it is going to just skyrocket in popularity another level because the source material is well. Or, or what if it's not as good as the source material? Like that's the other thing. This is an immaculately drawn yeah. manga. Could it live up to how well it's drawn on the printed most page? Most anime is not as good as the source yeah. material, so I don't yeah. think that would be a huge <laughs> that's, that's a challenge, right? Yeah. Because like like Drifting Dragons, for example, which I thought was a really beautifully drawn story, got animated with a CGI kind of vibe, which mm. took off all the organic loveliness of it. Like I feel it's stiff compared to the manga. Mm-hmm. So, and then we talked about this with Way of the House Husband, I right? Think. Yeah, Where House yeah. Husband too. It just felt like, you know, like the it was a poor match. And maybe as an another one is Uzumaki, which is in development now. Yeah, and yeah. And they've been saying, oh, you know, it's going to take longer. It's going to take longer because we really want to make this look beautiful. Yeah. And I'm glad they that they are. They it again because mm-hmm. they were like, there's no way we can complete it with the level of quality that we want. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's important. The anime for this book has been in works for a long time, actually. And it mm-hmm. was only announced relatively recently. So, you know, I think, I hope it lives up to it. Like, I hope I really do. But I mean, lots of stuff gets anime adaptations as well, and the manga doesn't necessarily take off. True, true. But this, this is so good. This, is so good. this one anyway. deserves it, right? I mean, yeah. but also just even purely on a storytelling point of view, right? Like, one thing I noticed upon this reading is the page turn surprises. Mm. Like, mm. On, on page 158, when like Coco is on the raft, right? And she has to draw the diagram on the sail. And then she puts that one last stroke on it. And then the next page is boom, like she just, like the, the mm-hmm. raft just flews up, you know? Or like on page 200 where all the girls are running from something. And then Coco looks back and goes, what are you guys running from? And then the next page is boom, it's a double page spread of a giant dragon. Yeah, that was like, awesome. Like these, these, these page turns reveals are so wonderful. <laughs> it is almost as good as anime to me in some ways. Mm. I think this is a very anime influenced book. Like mm. the storytelling, the facial expressions, like there's a, what's the word? Fluidity, I think, to the drawings that's mm. fairly, like fluid drawings aren't rare, but ones to this extent where every page just kind of flows one from the other, like mm-hmm. it all makes sense. And then when there are reaction shots, like the way she cuts to those shots feels very familiar too. It makes it feel very, 
fun. Like it bounces, I guess, in the storytelling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kwame Shirahama is a big superhero fan, big American mm-hmm. superhero fan, and has done a lot of work, cover work for Marvel, and I think some for DC as well. And I got a real superhero vibe from some of the stuff in this book. Mm-hmm. Some of the like most recent, more recent superhero-y art. Think of things like, what's a good example? Addie Granoff, who did Iron Man for a while and has done stuff. 15 got, years like, a, ago? Well, sorry. I'm, <laughs> crispness. Okay, Jim Chung. Jim Chung. Okay, sure. Look at the art on this and then think of Young Avengers era Jim Chung artwork. 15 years mm-hmm. ago? 15 years ago, yeah. <laughs> when I was a comic book retailer. I haven't been a retailer for a while. But I could totally see like that kind of like crispness to the artwork, especially drawing like every character in this, except for like the one dude who minds the tree is like a beautiful young person. You know what I mean? And that was like Jim Chung's yeah. like stock and trade in his artwork well, from Marvel. Jim's, Jim's thing too. Um, I call him Jim cause I've worked with him, but nice. uh, Jim's thing too is the, the solid broken line. Like there'll be mm-hmm. a line, but it'll be done in like 10 tiny lines mm-hmm. as a kind of a way to create kind of texture and contour. Mm-hmm. And you see a lot in this book, especially in like rock formations and things like very, very beautiful. I can see, I can see some sort of like influence there one way or the other. Hmm. That feels really European to me too. Oh yeah. Like French comics-y. Yeah. In superhero comics, I was actually told by, so I was working on Go Girl with, with Trina Robbins, the artist on that was Ann Timmons. And she said she learned to ink with the with the solid broken line from Terry Austin, mm-hmm. who was the inker yeah. on John Byrne on X Men, who would do those broken lines and it would give like a lot of vitality to, especially to his characters, but also to separate characters out of the background and foreground. Yeah. So yeah, superheroes all the way down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah get a real superhero vibe, like crossed with manga. She's a pretty young creator, and I just think of like, how young her work, all of her work. I think she's maybe like maybe in her thirties. Oh, oh <laughs> <laughs> the hand of the artist is very present, especially because of lines like that, like you were talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like on the dragon reveal page that Deb pointed out, mm, the way 200. the dragon is inked. Which page? Two hundred. Page two hundred. Yeah. The way the dragon is inked, it reminds me almost of like an uncolored superhero drawing. Like this is like. Bean Fang Foom or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but with like an ink wash or something. But I remember I actually zoomed in on his on his tail because I wanted to see if it was a brush she used for the scales or if she'd actually drawn every single like, you know, hash mark. And it looks like she drew everything. Like yeah. all the lines look unique. Yeah. Which is pretty dope. And then I got distracted by the hatching in the background. Oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, how so? It's just a good, like, if you like seeing things that look drawn, this is a really good book for that. Yeah, yeah. this is this is going to be one that I recommend to a lot of artist friends to make them upset. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chip, I know that in the past you've mentioned, like, you take screenshots of certain scenes that you think are really striking. Was there any that you want to point out or share with us? I don't know. I kind of gave up at a certain point. Like, I started to do it, like, really early on. Like by page 31, where she's imagining him casting a spell, it just just lovely smoke swirls with, with great contrast to, to the uh, over manga face. I don't, I don't know how you describe her face <laughs> at the bottom of that page. Oh, the cartoony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very, very cartoony face versus the, the absolute elegance of the, the main image. Mm-hmm. 
just gorgeous. Like there are so many pages and little mm-hmm. bits throughout that I just just adored. I don't have necessarily page numbers for all of them, but there's a page where he uh, well, I don't know I, I can't even describe it. There's just so much going on, but yeah, yeah, it's it's just full of it. Like every environment just feels like like a masterwork. It's really really beautiful. I'm very angry that she's young. <laughs> she doesn't have a listed official age, but I met her and she yeah. she's younger. I was going to I was going to say the earlier when Chris pointed out the cover, I'm like when Deb recommended this book and I saw the cover, I'm like, "Oh, like why isn't this why didn't she recommend this during our classic manga?" <gasps> oh, really? Cuz I thought this was mm-hmm. that old just just on a brief glance mm-hmm. at the cover. Like when I look closer at the cover, I can see the the kind of details. I'm like, oh, okay, this is actually a more modern work, but it feels so old based on that cover that I was quite surprised. How interesting. Yeah. And there's a lot of storybook Mm -hmm. illustration style illustration in this. Mm -hmm. If you go to page, I don't know, there's no page number here, but it's like the beginning of one of the chapters. Uh, When I was really little, my mom took me to a festival Mm -hmm. at the castle and there's two insert pictures of like, her now and then her when she was a little girl and then there's this like mm. beautiful storybook castle like like almost like a Gustav Dore like drawing of like you know what I mean like an engraving yeah. and it's just mm. like oh my god <laughs> like, yeah. like like someone drew this for this book it's it's a little bit crazy yeah and that's that's something that like mm. it does feel old but it also feels timeless yeah. because it's not old i was looking uh, at page 52 to 53 that moment where coco's making her first attempt at drawing a spell and then that the darkness that is coming mm. closer to her and then a hand is behind her and it's the next page is like he's like grabbing her and whisking her away that's so masterful mm-hmm. yeah. that's brilliant and their escape goes on for a couple of pages too. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just like he grabs her and teleports out. Like there's a lot of effort drawn on the page, you know? Yeah. Everything feels, oh, the storytelling, everything feels like it takes the exact appropriate amount mm-hmm. of time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, this escape sequence could have been done in one, like on one page, but instead it was like three three pages before they start talking to each other again, maybe four. And it's like, perfect. It's like, it's like one of the escape sequences in like a Ghibli film, like La Puta or something like that. It's just like, like the artist took the exact amount of time to communicate just how magical (laughs) this, this sequence was. And I thought that was really, really, really awesome Mm -hmm. about so much of the storytelling in this book. Like it all felt really good. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned Ghibli. Oh, do tell. I kept thinking about Nausicaa and us reading Nausicaa while reading this book. (laughs) Just because this feels like, I don't want to say more successful. Yeah, better Nausicaa. It feels like a Nausicaa that hit closer to home for us. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) New Nausicaa. (laughs) New Nausicaa. But no, it has like a lot of the same, like everyone's very kind-hearted except for the one person who's probably going to end up being kind-hearted but rude, you know, (laughs) one of those kind of things. It might be a complete psycho, which would be great, actually. Like, what I if think she it's just too becomes YA. worse and worse? She's <laughs> just like, oh, you got to take the test to keep up with me. Like, the classic yeah. rival uh-huh. behavior. Yeah. Like, there's definitely, like, a type of story, a few types of stories that this is kind of part of a lineage with. I think Nausicaa, like, the kind of Ghibli cute girl story is one. But also, Ancient Magus Bride is very similar to this. Oh, uh, right. Yes. And mm. skewed much older and... In a weird way, Fire Force, the firefighting mm-hmm. magic manga, mm-hmm. 
has some similar elements, but I think this is the most distilled, like kid friendly, very safe, safer work too. Yeah. you know, take on this kind of a story. Mm. But the hair throughout was really impressive. The hair. <laughs> I didn't take any screenshots, but the hair the was hair so wild. Yeah, you could definitely see the like movement, right, and movement yeah. and action in the hair and the flowing of, of the clothing. Mm-hmm. It's very um, kinetic. Yeah. You know, th- nothing feels stiff. It feels very flowing and natural. And it 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 uh, pays attention to the physics of the world. Wind, you know, water, mm-hmm. you know, fire. Yeah. Sometimes what happens with some manga is like the characters, and this happens in American comics too, where the characters all look like action figures. Their hair yeah. just stays in one place. Their clothes just stays in one place. And it doesn't mm-hmm. seem to flow and react to what's happening around them in space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I got a question for you, David. A couple of times you yeah. mentioned that this is safe manga. Now, do you think that mm-hmm. manga aimed at kids should be safe or not safe? Like, do you have a preference for one over the other? And what, what defines an, an unsafe manga? Uh, you need both. Sort of like how, I would say in this case, things you would have to have a conversation with your kid about after they read the book. Like there's no mm-hmm. nudity, there's no sexual situations. Even the poop joke is so heavily shaded in this book, you know? Mm. And I actually saw something going around on Twitter recently where someone posted a clip from a later chapter where they, there's this whole thing about like harassing people and being a creep is wrong. They go out of their way to like abuse a guy who was doing that kind of thing. Wow. So I think this is safe in the sense that most YA stuff's not going to be objectionable, mm. really. It'll, it might skirt a line a little bit, but it's not going to go mm. over an edge to where it might make a parent upset. Mm. And I think as long as like parents are cool with witches, yeah. there's not much in this book to get upset with. There is but, a boob. There's one boob on one, one page. Boob. And I was shocked by it. <laughs> I don't think I, I like, even it was, noticed. <laughs> it was, well, sorry, that's it. Because it was so yeah. what you were saying, like all the way through. And all of a sudden I was like, whoa, this is a beautiful, that's a boob. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's they're just doing like Captain Marvel comics and Superman comics. Mm. Like Superman might go a little bit further than Captain Marvel, but like yeah. hardcore evil Mary Marvel never feels right, you know? Oh yeah. Mm. <laughs> but in this case, this feels very safe, and I think the an unsafe take would be something like Fire Force, which has a lot more like fan service or mm. like not much immature situations, let's say, mm. <laughs> or even the original Dragon Ball, which has like loads of non-sexual nudity that's inoffensive in Japan, but like would cause like a minor stir over here. Like that feels a little more unsafe for me, to me, mm-hmm. but it's less a value judgment and more like a rating system, like a loose rating okay. system. Yeah. Comics code uh, authority approved. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just doesn't it doesn't play up a lot of the the things that make something. I know this is gonna sound bad. Too manga, too anime, right? Like, there's some of that, like we, we were describing earlier, like that beautiful smoke, and then like Coco's like reacting in a really comical manga way at the bottom. Mm-hmm. There isn't as much of this as you would see in most manga like this, right? You know, the comical asides, the the fan service, the the ridiculousness that take mm-hmm. you out of the story that's like, ah, oh, you know, wink and a nod, you know, this is how manga is, this is how anime is. It's, it is very, it doesn't have a lot of in here that needs to be explained to a non-Japanese reader or someone who's new to manga. Yeah. It, you know, it could very well have been a French comic, right? Mm, very much so. It doesn't have a lot of Japanese tropes or visual, I don't know, yeah. jargon that would be jarring or hard to explain to a non 
manga reader. The storytelling, I think, is just really nice, right? And if you go further into the story, it is also diverse, but not in a not in a patronizing way. There's witches, there's men and there's girls and boys, men and women, different different you know body types, different uh, different ethnicities. There's even a a wizard teacher who is on a wheelchair, but it's not a wheelchair. It's basically a four legged goat chair. Nice. But there's just like the toilet. There's all kinds of really inventive ways that she injects modern things in a magical mm. way that I think is really mm. smart. What kind of genre would you call this? We're like, we're kind of looking at it like a complete replacement of our world. It was never our world to begin with. Maybe mm. like, is this post post-apocalypse? Just fantasy. <laughs> I think it's just it's fantasy. fantasy. Yeah. Like it's a different world unless okay. something is revealed later. It's like a fantasy adventure for sure. Okay. Yeah. Because there's a way, like Fire Force is kind of similar where there's like, there was a great cataclysm of an old world and now we have new rules and magic and that kind of thing. And Fire Force and Witch Hat aren't that similar at all. So don't like buy one if you like the other. <laughs> but the parallels kind of interest me a little bit. Mm-hmm. But there are bits, like there's texture that they share in terms of introducing a new world and introducing characters where they go about it in sort of opposite ways. Yeah. But they both share like an interest in diversity, for instance. And so when a black character showed up in the Fire Force, I was really surprised oh. because that doesn't normally happen in manga and anime. Yeah. But here it happens very quickly, like the second or third chapter, I think. Mm-hmm. The lady shows up. Yeah. It happens more as the story progresses, but it happens in a very mm. matter of fact way. Is it yeah. based on geography? Like no. Those witches are from somewhere else? No, okay. not at all. <laughs> it's cool. kind of like when I went to Amsterdam and people talked to me in Dutch because they never assumed I wasn't from there. Mm. Okay. Uh, that was such a surprise to me, right? Pain in the ass. No, it was, <laughs> no, sorry. no, it was just for me. It was kind of magical because it's like, wow, you didn't assume I was a tourist. You didn't yeah. assume I didn't come from here just because I, I'm Asian. Mm. I that has never happened to me in any other country. I'll tell you that red for top. So I thought, you know, I took it with the atelier that way, where it's like it's not like mm, like in Naruto, right? When the ninja group is from another mm-hmm. place and then they're all they're mostly dark skinned and they rap <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah they introduce a character named killer b who's one of like the greatest ninjas and his whole thing is rapping oh my god <laughs> it's sort of like when superman was like by the way there's a planet of black kryptonians mm-hmm. and they all live on one island on krypton oh man yeah it doesn't feel as like, you know, like, oh, they come from another distinct place. No, it's like, yeah. no, they're fully integrated to this society. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's funny. I've only ever really written fantasy once, and that was my image series with Krasanka, which is the White Trees plug. And yeah, when we were deciding like of, of regions and stuff, I was like, well, yeah, of course we're going to have like all the different types of characters from every region, because otherwise yeah. it becomes really kind of boring without that. Yeah. Like it's, it's, <laughs> Yeah, it just seems seems like it would be a strange choice to make nowadays if you were going to be like, oh, and all the characters here, even even apart from like Earth humans, like oh, all these characters from here are purple and all the characters from here are, you know, have feathers. And like even that just feels very kind of reductive and weird and from a storytelling yeah. point of view. Yeah, it's really common in video games too. Like war, like people are from here, other people are from here. And then you're just like, this is just like, video game races at this point <laughs> even though they're all yeah. fake you know everyone read lord of the rings everyone's making their own lord of the rings now we've all gotta like 
This is the yeah. next thing, which is better. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It feels absolutely. very, despite how it looked in the cover, it feels very contemporary very. in terms yeah. of like how it wants to see the world and be in the world. And that's kind of awesome too, especially because so much YA fiction is like, regressive and <laughs> weird and anytime it's fantasy everyone's white unless defined otherwise like and they're yeah. the special character that stands out and like it's you know it's the harry potter problem oh, but like it's not just harry potter it's it's kind of everything up to a certain year and things are i think getting a little better now it's a genre thing that we accepted because it was sort of the default for a long time mm-hmm. and now yeah. that we're listening to other people we're like oh there's like subtext here we're not too happy with <laughs> yeah no kidding. But what makes this cover look old to y'all? Because I felt it was still pretty modern in design and approach. When it's small to me, mm-hmm. so it's the diamond shape uh, with the like almost like the page tabs mm-hmm. on each corner is mm-hmm. something that's like a very old design treatment. Yeah. The f- Art Deco almost level of detailing in the gold, those gold tabs on the corners in the cover also mm-hmm. reads very old to me but not like not like england old but more like 20th century old. america old yeah, yeah. Great gatsby old. yeah it is, yeah. It is very and art deco the, i see i see yeah and the, like the insets the illustration style with the curved uh like solid lines for for sh- shading and stuff like that is not something that's generally like it, it sort of is supposed to look like old fantasy illustration deliberately like like really good versions of second gen D D black and white illustration because the first gen mm-hmm. D illustrations are charming but not good <laughs> so it's like <laughs> yeah it, it to me but but the giveaway is the face is that's like that's an anime face or an anime manga face right out of 2020 like 2017 2018 whenever this manga started mm. and you can kind of see it well maybe we'll do something in the show notes where we show like the default anime style face from different ages. But like if I show you any character from Tenchi Muyo, you can, you know exactly <laughs> what like time and place that was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or Rumiko Takahashi with Yurusei Atsuran Ranma was like kind of defined a look for a number of years. That kind of idea. And this is like, that's the contemporary part of this okay. illustration. Yeah. Everything else is meant to evoke an age. And it's not bad, but it's like, I don't know. I'm going to just throw like the top five best-selling, maybe top six best-selling YA or middle grade novels covers in the show notes here. And you'll see that they just, this looks like it's a thousand years old compared <laughs> to contemporary graphics. Yeah, it's, it's really funny. Like even if I put my hand over the face and just block the face, I'm like, oh, wow, this, like, this feels like it's from the early 1900s, mm. like almost yeah, immediately. Uh-huh. I was stuck on all the triangles and nested triangles on the cover mm. from yeah. like the logo to the shape to the layout mm. that I didn't even think of it in that way. Uh, but also like the hat and also the shape of the buildings in the background, like triangles abound. Triangles and have a little abound. diamond. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because like, you know, the, the, the title, which had Atelier, right? Atelier is basically like a fashion thing or that's our, that's mm. our general association with it. So you, so mm. you think, oh, it's a fashion comic and the, the interesting bit of mythology that she builds in here is that the, the good witches are have these cone hats and the bad witches have hats with brims, which is a traditional witch hat. She's introduced this ominous character with a mask with an eyeball who introduced Coco to the book of magic of forbidden spells. So it's kind of building towards something. But it's kind of woven in the background. And like we said, the first chapter basically sets up a lot of the world building. But 
did you, at the end of the first volume, did you think, I want to keep reading to see what happens next? Or were you like, oh, this is good enough for me? I, let me ask a question and then I'll have an answer. Mm. So you've read past volume one, right? Oh, yeah. Does the eyeball hat person, are they a good guy, a good person or a bad person? Mm, or is it complicated? Complicated. Okay. I have a hunch it's going in a, you're the hope of like both sides of the good and bad witches kind of direction. So I am curious about that, but not necessarily like by the next volume right after this podcast curious. Mm. Mm. But like, it's definitely on my list to catch up with for sure. Mm. This is the kind of thing that I would happily read based on how much I liked this first volume, but it is also like not something that I think I'm going to seek out either. Mm. Like I'm delighted that this has crossed my path for a second time. I get to read it and it's gorgeous and a wonderful place to spend time in, but it's not, it's for me in that it's beautiful and I like beautiful comics, but the story is very much for a young person. Mm young people to find themselves in and it's mm -hmm. the kind of thing that i think i would have loved a lot more when i was younger like i would have been super compelled by it but as we've discussed i just like reading manga <laughs> so it's a good manga to read so i think it's the kind of thing that like if i saw it in a store i was like i'm, I'm bored i want to read something oh maybe i should check out which had a Atelier volume two i would totally do it like i would that would be something i would grab for sure but the same same thing with david like i'm not like Unlike some of the other stuff we've read recently, I'm not like rushing to download it right after this episode's over. How about you, Chip? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of hooks here to like to to bring readers to the next few volumes. But I'm I'm I feel similar to Chris, where I'm just like, yeah, for a younger reader, I, I definitely I can see them kind of going forward with it. If in my retirement days uh, I want to catch up on this, <laughs> this this would be in my top top ten of our books that we've read so far that I would want to kind of continue. Most of that has to do with the art though. I will say that maybe as a recommendation is that she did a series before this called Eniala and Duyela, which is definitely a more seinen manga vibe. I'm all caught up on that one. But it's about a angel woman and a devil woman and the bizarre hijinks they get into because they just want to hang out in the earth and go shopping and have fun. But they're kind of <laughs> Sounds very relatable. Yeah. It's beautifully drawn, but it's way wackier and it's way boobier. <laughs> it's Iniala and Dewiel? Is that how you said it? Eniala and Duiella, I think. Iniala and Duiella. Okay. It's uh, published I, by I read Yen the Press. first two volumes of that. Yeah. That one All was right. more up my alley than this, I think. Do tell. I think it's not as good of a story as this. You know, it's not as well put together. But it's basically just about like a dirtbag demon and a really naive angel, like at each other's throats. And in like a best friends forever kind of a way. Like I can show you the cover for volume two, which might really say it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like this one, not that safe, you know. I don't know, David, maybe you and I are similar in the fact that we, we kind of need a dirt bag in our comics. At least one. I really do. Yeah. At least someone smoke a cigarette. Like the old guy <laughs> with the two glasses, I thought that was cool, yeah. but he needed a pipe, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think you'll like the characters that are coming in Witch Hat Atelier. Uh, there's yeah. another witch who is a good friend of Quiffrey's. He's like got dark hair. He's more cynical. Mm. They kind of uh, bounce off each other a bit. 
But it's, what's really cute about this series too is there's like Ghibli, there's an element of food that comes into play later on. So much so mm-hmm. that they've published a cookbook. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Is that in English? It's. I think it is coming out in English, yes. Okay. I saw it in French. Awesome. And then there's been like a little spin-off comics along those lines, but it's kind of like this, you know, she's created this world and then like people are interested in exploring more of it. I do feel like this is the kind of book that like I used, when I was in, I guess maybe late elementary school, I was really into the Wizard of Oz books mm-hmm. and really, yeah, really enjoyed them a lot. And I feel like this is that kind of book that I could cheerfully recommend to anyone who has a daughter or son that age and they would really enjoy it. Yeah. And it's, it's also, it's got that, that great trope of, oh no, my parents have either been murdered or transformed. I've got to move on or help them. And then they just go and have a really nice time. <laughs> That's a great fantasy, isn't it? <laughs> well, let's go around the table. Let's just get some closing thoughts. Right. How about David? Yeah, I like it. It's not exactly like mature contenty enough for me, like, like saying. <laughs> but even with that in mind, like I still had a good time reading it. Like the drawings were incredible. There's a lot of stuff where she's just doing like what would have been next level comic stuff when I was a kid, just like as a matter of fact, that feels really good to see like comics being pushed forward that way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's totally worth checking out. If you like drawing, it's worth checking out. If you like stories about wizards and witches and stuff, it's totally worth it. And if you like just seeing how to build a world that's like fascinating and charming, this is a really good way to uh, go about it. All told, uh, five out of five Nausicaa's. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take this to Chris now. <laughs> yeah, I reiterate what I said at the beginning. And I, it's just like, I can't imagine giving this to anyone under the age of 14 who's not like an edgelord and them not loving it and having it be their favorite book. Like, it's just so well done and beautiful and... Yeah, like it's it's just so beautiful too. Like that's the other that's the other thing. Gentle and nice and a wonderful place to spend time. And I kinda wish I kinda wish I loved it more instead of just recognizing how good it is. Because it is the exact kind of book that at one point in my life I would have like given anything to have had, especially to have in English. She draws like I want to draw. Like when I used to draw, I used to draw approaching badly approaching something like this. It's like kind of seeing what if I was literally the best at the thing I wanted to do. And it's like, it's <laughs> Momi Shirahama. So it's a little bit weird, but it's nice. And yeah, I did want to actually call out, there's one really good illustration. And it was like when I knew I was going to love this book. And it's it's so small. It's page 20. And it's the bottom panel on page 20 when the sort of the actual, the witch dude is leaning on the edge of the panel and then oh. he's grasping the edge of his panel while his like arm hangs down. And it's such a natural way of standing. Like it's the kind of thing that I do all the time. But then like Sh- uh, Shirahama sensei decided to extend the panel down to show it, to show that he is magical and he interacts with even standard things in a magical way. And it was like, as soon as I saw that, I was, I, I, I believe that there was as enough care and attention put into the thought behind this world that it would be something I would really enjoy. And I was right. And I was really happy about that. Straight up, beautiful, wonderful manga. And I recommend it really, really highly. But coming off of a lot of the stuff we've been reading that has been exceptionally edgy, it's it's not in the same it's not in the same sphere. So just temper your expectations a tiny bit. All right. Chip, how about you? 
All right. When I look at books like this, this kind of fantasy world, I always ask myself, is this a Nelson can or a Nelson can't? And here, <laughs> wow. I declare this book a Nelson can, whereas Nelson Ka is a Nelson can't. Does that make sense? <laughs> wow. It does, actually. Yeah, I mean, hard to get murdered, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they can't find me. I'm in the woods. So good. yeah you can get away with that man i i go to anime conventions and i i (laughs) yeah the opinion right on the wall behind the register at every anime show (laughs) have you seen this woman do not let her in this this building (laughs) (laughs) talk shit she talks shit about miyazaki don't let her in <laughs> but Deb, what wow. did, what what was your takeaway? What did you think of Witch Hat Atelier? Oh, I fell in love with it as soon as I read the first volume. You know, I mean, art, mm. art, hundred percent storytelling, mm. world building, hundred percent. Just blew me away how beautiful it was, and then how in- engaging the story was. That it was, it's so rare that I can find a manga that I can recommend to people twelve and under. I I get mm-hmm. so many people saying, "Oh, can you recommend manga for my kid? They're in fifth grade. They're in fourth grade," and I just stumble and I go, "Cheese sweet home," and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but Witch Hat Atelier gave me another book to recommend, and I'm ever so grateful for it. I I also just really like the thought and care she puts not only into artwork and how she, you know, does her layouts and stuff like that, but how she builds the characters. How she like how she paces it. I mean, the the, the page turn reveals just blew me away. I love that. Mm. You know, it's almost like Akira level where like you turn the page and boom, something you know amazing happened. It doesn't yeah. happen at every chapter, but when it does, it's like wow, that that's craftsmanship. That is just amazing. Mm-hmm. I remember when I had Kamo Mishirahama. She was a she was a panelist on our manga publishing panel at Comic Con one year. This was oh wow. Awesome. Nobody knew it. <laughs> Nobody knew her at the time. <laughs> so I almost feel a little bit bad. Like, oh, now, you know, we'll be so lucky to get her to come back to the U.S. and meet her fans because now she has so many more. And I look forward to a time when she can meet people who are as enchanted by her work now as we are. We got to get Marvel to fly her out for the superhero stuff and then take advantage. <laughs> Perfect. We can hope. Guerrilla signing. I do hope like you will ch- keep reading the series because I I think it does get better. I think it's up to like volume nine or something like that. It's it's mm. I find it really, really really well done. Uh, I'm gonna wait for the anime. <laughs> <laughs> You're killing the industry. I'm so stoked to see us talk about witchcraft works next week in comparison to this, and then witches <laughs> the week after. I feel like I got the short end of the stick, but we'll see next week. <laughs> I am. I am tickled that we're going to talk about witchcraft works next week because now that we've had witch had atelier to start, this is this yeah. is going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a little quick break and we'll come back with something. Stay tuned.
Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Welcome to another Manka Must Reads brought to you by Comixology. With Comixology Unlimited, you get access to over 6,000 volumes of manga, including new, classic, and undiscovered gems that you can read online anytime including the manga that we'll be discussing today. And today, I'm going in with a little bit of anxiety because <laughs> we are once again going on to the shoujo end of the manga store. We are going to be talking about Mars by Fuyumi Soryo. This is an interesting older shoujo manga, old being relative, because it was published by Tokyo Pop back in the day in print. And Kodansha brought it back as a digital-only release so that even if you can't dig up all 15 volumes in print, you can read it all on Comixology and other digital manga platforms. But that said, it is an older shoujo manga, but it's also a very beautiful shoujo manga and one that a lot of readers really enjoyed. Let me see if I can read the description. It says, Super motorcycle racer Ray and shy neurotic art student Kira are worlds apart until one fateful day brings them together. Ray stumbles upon Kira in the harassing hands of her sleazy art teacher and mm. saves a quiet girl from his clutches. And when the resident school pretty boy plants a kiss on a statue of Mars in the studio, Kira finds herself drawn in and even summons up the nerve to ask him to model for her. I'm not sure that's a great description of Mars because I think there's more to it than that. But I'm kind of curious. I know, Chris, we were talking about this really earlier, but this is your first time reading Mars, and what did you think of it? No, it's not my first time reading Mars, actually. I've been working in comic book stores for a long time, and I was working in a comic book store when this was released. So it was originally serialized starting in 1996, which is kind of crazy. And then I think Tokyo Pop started publishing it sort of a few years later in the, in the 90s. And it was a time when I was reading every single manga that was coming out and being released. And in particular, I fell in love with shoujo because the storytelling styles were so different than other stuff that was available at the time. I mean, it's hard to think of now, but like shoujo manga basically just wasn't being published in English at all. It took Tokyo Pop doing Sailor Moon and what was the other one? They had a lot of um, different series Ray in Earth. the beginning. Ray Earth, sorry, thank you. Both of them are magical girl action adventure ones, but with their big next line of manga push, it was books like this and Kodocha and Tokimimu and things like that. Like. Shoujo just reads differently in a way that I found really enjoyable. And so I've actually, I read Mars pretty close to when it was originally published in my early 20s. And I was like, oh my goodness, why haven't we ever had a manga like this before? That's about real high school life that deals with real issues that people are are having to deal with in their in their day to day. Like, you know, teacher with wandering hands and like, you know, bullying and all that kind of stuff that 
just was completely absent from comics. And not only that, by a female creator and from a woman's perspective, like a young woman's perspective, which also did not exist at comics at the time. Like it's it's hard because young people are going to be like, this guy sounds insanely old right now talking <laughs> about this. But yeah, man, like it was a revelation when books like this started to come out. And Mars in particular, I thought was good because it was so edgy and mm. was really not afraid to shy away from things. So reading it again today, it does come off as insanely melodramatic, which I also kind of loved. I loved it then, and it was like very visceral and like thrilling then. And now that I have a lot more distance from from this age and from be- and this material, it does it does seem a little over the top. But also, still, the core stuff is unfortunately still things that young women are dealing with in school: bullying and ostracization and shitty teachers and like being you know being an, an introvert, which is not a word that is used in this book because it was thirty years ago when it was published. So. So yeah, I think it's a really, I really enjoyed reading this. And because it was one of the very first shoujo that I ever read, all of the things that I now know to be tropes of the shoujo genre are still feel as fresh as they did when I read them the first time because I read them in this first. I don't know if I came to it now having read books like that deal with bullying and deal with with issues and things like that, like Othello was, was one that Delray released sort of for early on or even some of the the stuff that's coming out today through the shoujo beat line that Viz is doing. I don't know that I would have been quite as generous to it, but it was a walk down memory lane for me and I really enjoyed it. I'll go to David next and see what he said out of this. I mine is nowhere near as fancy as everything Christians had to say. <laughs> I'll say on page one, I saw the main character in like a vest and a flannel and like a cubs thing, and I was like, ah, oh, this is like a Michael J. Fox kind of back to the future. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But by the time I got to chapter two, the drawings were working for me a lot more. Like there were a few that I screen capped and went back to, especially the title spread where it's just like Mars, I thought was really handsome. Mm. And the bit where she says, I want you to model for me while he's sitting on the oh. stairs and she's looking down, like great perspective on that one. Great page design. Yeah. The romance didn't work for me until the scene in the, the, art studio when he looks at the statue and he kind of falls asleep talking about nihilism. I guess what I need to enjoy shoujo is like a main character who maybe thinks about dying all the time. Cause from there it <laughs> gave it kind of an interesting spice to the, to their relationship. Yeah. You know, because she's so, she's like the picture, like the literal picture of like a nerdy mousy girl, a high school girl rather. Mm-hmm. And he looks like a delinquent, but he has a heart of gold, which is another trope in shoujo and shonen, I, I believe. And the way they interacted after that, I thought was really neat because it was, it felt like a relationship being grown rather than them just jumping yeah. into one. Like as they get more comfortable with each other, I guess he's comfortable throughout, but as she kind of opens up and learns about herself and him. And I liked what a nice guy Ray was in the end, like trying to hook his friend up with the lady that he's kind of basically dating is dumb, but also like really kind, (laughs) you know, Mm. because he knows his friend has history. So by the end, I was pretty interested. Romance stories are still kind of a hard sell for me, but the, the drawings and the overall atmosphere, especially once you pass like the halfway point of the book really, really kind of worked for me. And now drum roll, please. Chip, (laughs) what did you think of this? What did you think of Mars? I loved it. I absolutely loved it. 
This is one of my favorite books that has been brought into the podcast. I thought it was really? lovely, beautiful. I thought the characters had kind of a depth to them that I didn't really find in the genre before. Like, you know, he is a bad boy with a heart of gold, mm. but like usually in these, like he's a really bad boy and the heart of gold doesn't show up until way later. And also like she's in love with him for no actual reasons. Like, whereas here it felt like, yeah, it was, it was a nice kind of gradual buildup, but you could see the progression over the first volume. And I think also kind of opening the story with him helped it as well. Like he wasn't like this mysterious distanced outsider, all brooding and mysterious. Mm. Like he was a character visiting his friend in the hospital. Like that's the first thing that we see of him. You kind of get into his character first before you really kind of get into her character. But then when you get into her character, like when the bullies are threatening to break her hand and she just kind of has her monologue about how like she's heard about people drawing with her other hand, and if not their hand, their mouth, and if their mouth, their feet, like that like hit me. I'm just like, oh, wow. Like there's, there's like a, uh, there's such an inner strength to her that you, again, based on the, the genre that I've read before, you, you don't, you don't really get a lot of that or especially in the earlier volumes, maybe later volumes. So I, I thought it was really, really well done and beautiful. There are some pages in here that I was just like, oh, that's just, that's lovely. And not just like turns a phrase, but like there's a page toward the end. She's listening to the, the motorcycle and she goes, I wonder if it's just my imagination, but the sound a motorcycle makes, it sounds like crying, which is, you know, it's, that's, that's a lovely little bit of writing, a bit of poetry. But the page design is so beautiful with just the kind of the, the faint sound effect as almost like part of like part of the panel. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to, I'll, I'll, I'll send it along so you can put it in the show notes. But yeah, some really, really nice stuff here. Yeah, I, I want to keep going with it. That same page has like a, a wicked tangent that actually looks kind of good. Where in the upper right, where her hand is on the window, and then the panel next to it, the panel border. Oh yeah, traces where the window would yeah. be. Yeah, it's it's so it nice. Leads the eye really it's well. so nice. That distant shot of him on the motorbike, like that single eye shot of hers with the sound effect. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, these are really interesting ways that she composes panels. Like that one where they're having a conversation and it's these vertical blocks against the, the, the apartment complex mm. in the mm. night sky. And the stairway moment where she tells him, I want to use your body. And then he just kind of falls down in surprise. Yeah. I yeah. love that. That was so good. Yeah, That was really beautifully composed. So nice. There's some mm. real beautiful ways i mean sometimes it's you know a lot of talking heads but there's moments that she draws some like (sighs) there's this moment when the two boys are looking at each other the screen tone is creates this tension Mm. like it's Mm. your fault you know like you know that's why she's going through all this so Uh. there's a lot of she does a lot of really interesting paneling like diagonals Mm -hmm. and but it's not to the point where it's distracting like it it takes you away from the story Mm-hmm. She's trying a lot of experimental things, but not so experimental that you fall out of the story. Yeah, the illustration that she does of not sorry, not the illust- well, I guess the illustrator of the book of Sorio Sensei, but also the, the the character of the mother and child that's like clearly muddled after Gustav mm-hmm. Klimt. That's just a showstopper when you get to that oh, illustration and you sort of see him sort of inset looking at that illustration. I thought that that was really, really beautiful. And again, it sort of is a good example of what you're talking about, of trying to do something that is definitely not something you would find in every kind of shoujo manga. And it really sort of like hits you and really stands out. I thought that that was yeah. really Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of beautiful yeah. art in this. Pages 155 and 156 are a nice, another good example of kind of the page layout working. 
Because on 155, mm. you have this really large image of them, you know, embracing. And then Ray has a thought. He's like, oh, no, my friend's here. Like, we can't, I can't hurt my friend, even though I like this lady yeah. a lot. So the next mm. page is them, like, yanking apart. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. It's just really good. Yeah, 154, though. when he embraces her, like, that's just such a beautiful, tender looking pose. Yeah, like he mm-hmm. he has so much feeling in him, which I which I really appreciate about the way they handled the character as well. It's 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 a it's a lovely it's yeah. a lovely book. And Deb, what did you think of it? Did you hate it? <laughs> it's it's, <laughs> it's really nice to come back to this again because I have to admit it's maybe been about at least fifteen years since I've read this, so I kind of don't remember how it ends. But it does suck you in. It is melodramatic. Yeah. yeah. But I do think it's interesting. That even though there's a lot of trope here, right? Like the shy girl, the bad boy, and they have complicated backgrounds that make them the way they are. Mm. The way that she lets the story unfold makes you want to know, right? Makes mm-hmm. you want to see what comes next. And she doesn't shy away from very dark things, you know, like the sexual uh, harassment that she gets from her teacher, the the really extreme bullying that she gets. Mm-hmm. And then as you read further on, both characters' complicated relationships with their parents and what they go through to decide to be together is, you know, it's really a satisfying read. Yeah. And, you know, being able to read it like this means you're not waiting three months for the next chapter, right? Like like I am with In the Clear Moonlit Dusk, where I'm like, where's volume four? Where's volume four? Yeah. It's like, it's not even on Japan. Shut up. Sit down and wait. <laughs> this one is like, if you really want to, you can binge all 15 yeah. and see the story. And I, that's kind of nice. There's a lot of very satisfying twists in this first volume. And even though it is melodramatic and even though it is on the older side, I think it still reads well. Mm-hmm. The stakes are high. That's maybe what's so good about this manga is that we, we've read a lot of shoujo manga where it feels like the end of the world, but the stakes are just, will these two people actually end up going out or not? But in this one, it's like, oh, you took the brake pads off of my motorcycle? You drive a white Honda, huh? <laughs> I would be careful. Don't get in an accident. You're like, whoa, (laughs) the stakes are high for this romance. (laughs) It's pretty good. And I'm not normally, if I hadn't read it before, I might be like more, oh, I don't know. I don't know. But like, yeah, reading this again, it's like, oh, this really means something to the people who are in this story and in this world. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. She did do a series called Eternal Sabbath, which is more of a grown-up suspense mystery story, with still with the same beautiful art. Mm. And then she's currently working on a series about the the Borgia family from the Italian yeah. Renaissance, which has nice. almost zero to no chance of being in English, sadly. But it's beautifully, beautifully drawn. I mean, I'm glad that this book is available, and I'm glad more people can enjoy it. And I'm glad that it being on the streaming sites like Comicsology Unlimited maybe gives people an excuse to have a no-risk way of diving in and checking it out. Mars by Fuyumi Soryo is published by Kodansha and is available now on Comicsology. Go to comicsology.com to check out a free preview. If you're new to Comicsology Unlimited, get one month free when you sign up today at amazon.com slash comicsology unlimited. And we are back. And given that we just talked about something else, maybe you just have time for some shout outs right about now. So let's see. Let's see what Chip likes this week. What do you say, Chip? What are you shouting out? Nothing. Nothing. I got Still? nothing. <laughs> I've consumed nothing except for work. All I do is work. 
and read manga that you keep making me read. <laughs> Sad face. I know, sorry. Have you read anything for work that's been good? Any research? Ooh, I can't even say, because if I say it'll give away plot points of future books. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry. You almost got him, David. Got you almost got him to spill the I'm beans. Trying. Nice try. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. In that case, let's just recommend our pal Chips Substack, because it is full of good reading. Go subscribe. <sighs> it's awesome. And if you don't have oh. the internet, Public Domain and Batman are on paper now, so you can go to a comic shop and pick those up. That is true. Yeah, I didn't want to shout out myself. It just seemed gauche. <laughs> so instead, you're going to make us use our shout outs to shout you out? God. <laughs> well, anyways, that's one another episode of Manga Splaining. Join us next week. <laughs> Christopher, what's yours? What's your shout out? We just finished, or actually, it's still not finished. Oh, my God. We just mostly finished show notes for the massive episode, which were like almost 10,000 words by the time we're done. And one of the books that I forgot to talk about during the massive episode is called Gay Erotic Art in Japan, and it's edited by Tagame, who was one of the featured artists in the massive book and has a new book of pornography <laughs> coming out next week, uh, Passion <laughs> of Gangoro Tagame 2. It's out August 12th. And the reason I want to shout it out is it is a fully bilingual book about mm. the history of gay erotic art in Japan and all the stuff in sort of post during the war and post-war that turned into what we think of as the gay manga that came out at Massive. And so that's all covered in the show notes, but I didn't mention it on the episode and I wanted to. So if you look up gay erotic art in Japan, Gengro Tagame, you can find it in the show notes for Massive. There's a link to the Japanese publisher page for it. But yeah, don't pay the crazy import prices. It's like a $45 hardcover <laughs> and there's three of them. But don't pay like 150 for it. But it's really good, actually. And it's one of those things where it's like, how did you learn stuff about gay manga? It's when books like this are out, pick them up. They're really good. It's my shout out. It's a book that's almost unavailable, but not entirely in North America. Nice. Mine is way less classy than that. I, <laughs> shout I recommend out Barry... gay porn, dude. It's not that classy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, I'm going to lower the tone now. I okay, shouted out Barry two weeks in a row, I think. So instead of shouting out Barry again and all the backup material that Chip recommended, I'm going to shout out three other shows oh, about yeah. petty crime that I like to watch. There is, I think all these are on Hulu or HBO. There's Southside, which is set in Chicago. It kind of follows like a rent-to-own company and the people who work there. It's probably the most directly funny. It's straight up comedy more so than drama, but it's sort mm -hmm. of like really good jokes about getting by in Chicago. There's Reservation Dogs, which just got a second season announced, I think. Kind of the same idea, like four teens are, you know, small time crooks on their reservation. And then I think these other gangsters move in and the kids are like, well, we can leave to California or we could like stake our claim and defend our land. And they choose to defend their land. And these troublemakers call, like decide that they're a gang and call them the reservation dogs. And they're like, sounds cool. Let's do it. So super cool. And finally, maybe my favorite show on TV right now is Brassic by Joseph Gilgun. And it's semi-autobiographical. It's about him and his friends who are professional thieves, but not technically good at being thieves. And it's <laughs> hardcore drama, hardcore comedy. He's an orphan. He, his mother left him when he was a kid, and he's dealing with like, bipolar issues. And it's like a running thread throughout the show. But it's also hmm. like laugh-out-loud funny. Joseph Gilgun's amazing. Brassic is super fun, really touching. And all I watch are, is just criminals on TV. And all I listen to is music <laughs> about criminals. So I don't know what's going on. But... <laughs> <laughs> Deb, do you have anything uplifting to shout out? Well, I was going to shout out something else, but yeah, I'll, I'll give you something <laughs> uplifting instead. <laughs> 
My pick is Cat Plus Gamer. Mm. It is a wholesome manga about a girl who is a hardcore gamer. She's a serious, stressed out office worker by day. She is a hardcore gamer by night. And somehow she adopts a kitten. And she hasn't had no prior experience owning a cat or any pet. <laughs> so she decides to take on this new challenge of being a pet owner like she would a game. Like she decides she's going to max out this cat's ability as a pet. It's, it's very cute. It's super fluffy. And it's full of adorable drawings of cats being cats. That's Aww. really good. Yeah. The cat's name is Musubi because he looks like an upside down rice ball. <laughs> oh, I get it. <laughs> it's one of those books that I thought was very cute and fun to read, but you know, maybe not a manga explaining pick because I don't know if we could talk for an hour about it. I bet or I could. Maybe I we could. Probably could. Probably could. Cats and games? Come on. I'll double down on your pick and tell our listeners to Google the game Stray for PlayStation, where you play as a stray cat in a cyberpunk world. Oh, so awesome. If you like cats and video games, you know, you've got some stuff on the horizon. Wow. Nice. Wow. All right. I think that'll do it for this week's Manga Splitting. Thanks a lot for listening. I hope you had a great time checking out, or I hope we've inspired you to check out something that you normally wouldn't have read before. And we'll see you next week with even more manga to explain. See you then. This has been Manga Splaining Episode 72, Witch Hat Atelier by Kamome Shirahama. Thanks for listening. For our next episode, we'll be discussing the manga Witchcraft Works by Ryu Mizunagi. Want to pick up a copy? Consider supporting your local comic book and manga specialty shop. Find one near you at comicshoplocator.com or check out your local library for print and digital lending options. You can also follow along with our complete reading list at mangasplaining.com and check out our newsletter and digital publishing endeavor at mangasplainingextra.com. Thanks to DADS for their musical accompaniment for this episode. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.